All right, so um, when I was in high school, I was uh, a little bit of a smart aleck, some might say. And my chemistry teacher, we particularly loved to torture. And so she was one uh, morning asking us if we knew some uh, chemistry word. And I said, oh, yeah, I know that word. Or she said, have you guys ever heard that word? I said, oh, yeah, I've heard that word. I raised my hand or whatever. And, and she, she, she said, where, where did you hear that word? And she wanted to know the context of like, oh, I was in a different science class or, oh, I was watching Discovery Channel or whatever. And so she goes, where do you find that word? And so I go, well, I, think I, was, I think I was in Tucson. And uh, it just kind of angered her. And so sometimes, though, there's more than one right answer to a question. Sometimes there's more than one way to, to answer a question. And as we've been going through this text in Romans, we're going to find today that Paul is going to have more than one answer to this question, that this, this question of Israel's salvation. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand, um, raise them high. We're going to be in Romans 9, so you can turn there now if you have your Bibles. If you don't, keep raising your hands. Romans 9. So, we've been going through Romans, and we've been going through Romans 9 the last few weeks. And Romans 9 is, is this moment that Paul takes to say, what about Israel? What about the, God's chosen people? What about their salvation? Because it seems that they are not accepting Christ now. And the past two weeks, Paul, Paul told us some pretty hard stuff about God. He told us how, how God really essentially chooses our salvation and chooses us for salvation. And, and, and it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, especially with some of the things that, some of the ways that, that Paul fleshed that out for us. And, but I, I, I want to encourage you guys, continue to struggle with that, continue to wrestle with that, and continue to try to understand that. But today, Paul is essentially going to keep answering this question. He's going to keep answering this question about what about Israel? But now he's going to start to answer it differently. So today he's essentially, he's going to answer two, two questions. He's going to say, why else has Israel not been saved? So why else? Why else has Israel not been saved? And then he's also going to say, he's also going to answer, could following the law of the Old Testament bring righteousness to Israel? Okay? So before we get into the text, we have to go over two uh, terms really quick so that we're all on the same page and we all are understanding what Paul's saying. Those two terms, the first term is righteousness. Okay, Paul's going to use this term a lot through this text, and he's going to talk about righteousness. In, in human standards, righteousness is really just right standing before God. It's being blameless. It's being perfect. And so in God's standards, he, he is blameless. He is perfect. He is righteous. And so that's what righteousness is, being blameless before God. The second term that we need to know before we get into this is uh, the law. And so the law here, it's not talking law in a legal sense. It's talking about the law in the biblical sense. And very often the Jewish people uh, refer to the first five books of the Old Testament as the law. But more specifically, it was all these uh, regulations that God had for the people of Israel to live out. As God's chosen people, he had all these things for Israel to live out. So the Ten Commandments are part of that law. But there's really, there's like 613 by some people's counts of law. So keep that in mind. 
If you'd like to have an outline for today's sermon, here, here's uh, an outline. First, we're going to just go through the text, see what it means. Then we're going to see how we're the, we are like the people of Israel. And then we're going to see how Jesus frees us. So three parts, the text, the Bible, um, see how we're like the people of Israel, and then see how Jesus frees us. All right, Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Let's get into it. What shall we say then? This is like one of Paul's favorite phrases, much like juxtaposition is one of Vince's favorite. So what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. So Paul, as he's been, as he's been writing through Romans, and especially Romans 9, he, he's writing it almost as if the, his Jewish homies are arguing with him. Because they, they have all these questions, and he's talked to them about Christ, and he's talked to them about all these things, and he's almost writing it in, in an apologetic way, saying, Here, here's how the argument breaks down. And so he goes, what shall we say then? And so he, he, he gives us two pictures. And to the Jewish people, this sounds crazy. He goes, so you got the Gentiles, which is everybody that wasn't Jewish, not God's chosen people, crazy partiers or whatever. And so we got them over here. They did not pursue righteousness, but somehow they've attained it through faith. But then over here, we've got the Jewish people who pursued righteousness through the law, through what God gave them, and then they have not, they have not attained it. And so the Jewish people are just, Paul, what is going on here? How is this possible? Because we've been good Jewish boys and girls. We've been trying to follow the law to, to be righteous. And Paul's saying, well, that's, that's not what happened. That, you haven't gotten it. You haven't gotten it because you, you've missed it a bit. I can, I can just imagine as a Jewish person reading it, just going, like, losing my mind. Being like, okay, Paul used to be one of our friends and he is really betraying us, or he's, he's going crazy. I don't know what's going on. And so Paul keeps up this dialogue uh, with, with the Romans, but about the people of Israel. Uh, verse 32. Why? So he continues. Why? why? Why did the people of Israel not get righteousness? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so, so Paul says, okay, this is how it is. Gentiles, Gentiles over there have gotten righteousness. Jewish people over here, we have not gotten righteousness. And so the next question is, why? And, and Paul says, because you didn't have faith. Because you didn't put your faith in Jesus. Because you put your faith in yourselves. Because you thought that your own works of righteousness, your own following of the Ten Commandments, because you thought that's what would save you. And you're, you're missing it. And they says, and, and secondly, you've stumbled over Jesus. They talk about Jesus as a stumbling stone. And this is from the prophet Isaiah that he's quoting. And how, and, and if you remember the stories about Jesus, Jesus came onto the scene. He was healing people. He's claiming to be the son, the son of God. He was doing all sorts of miraculous things. He knew the Bible well. And yet the, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of that time, they, they rejected him. 
they're like, no, he, he's not following things the way we're following them. He's, he's doing whatever he wants on the Sabbath, out of control. He's, doing, he's not washing his hands before he eats. That's real. And, and that's really in the Bible, I mean. And, so, and, and they're like, he's out of control. He, there's no way he could be the Messiah. There's no way he could be someone that, that is saving us or, or preaching right because they were seeing it all as works, as saving us. They, were, they had a narrow view of the law and of the Old Testament. And so Israel had two problems there where they stumbled over the Jesus and they trusted in their works to save them. Let's hit verse 1 of 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so Paul, he's not writing this because he just drank a bunch of haterade towards Israel, right? He's not. He, he's writing this because he wants them to be saved. And in light of Romans 9 and everything we heard where it says like God chooses some but not others, that's hard for us. Paul still lives in this tension, right? Paul, Paul doesn't go, brothers, too bad. <laughs> like you're, sorry, I'm chosen, you're not. He doesn't say that. He goes, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved that they may be saved. And so Paul is in this tension of, of knowing God's sovereignty and power, but also knowing he is to live as if the world can be saved, as if his brothers, uh, his Jewish brothers can be saved. And so he cares about them. And we need to live in that tension as well. I think sometimes we hear the rest of Romans 9 and we're like, well, I'm not going to evangelize ever again then. I'm not going to talk to people about Jesus ever again then. If it's all God just choosing and doing all this stuff, I don't need to anymore. But there's this weird paradox or tension in Romans 9 and 10 and 11 even that, that we are supposed to live uh, as if the world can be saved, as if, as if the gospel is for everyone. And so there's that tension there. I want to encourage you guys with that as Roman, Romans 9 has been tough for us. Let's go to verse 2. So he's, again, talking about the Jewish people. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so Paul gets it. He's like, they, they do have some kind of zeal for God. Even the God that, that, the, that the Christians believe in, the God of the Bible. They have some kind of zeal. But he says, but it's not according to knowledge. He, he, he doesn't know exactly what it's according to, maybe. But what he's trying to say there is they, they weren't really looking at the Old Testament. They weren't really trying to get to know the God of the universe. They were trying to take the God of the universe and turn him into something for their own devices. Turn him into something where, for themselves, where they could find their own salvation. Apart from him, almost. 10.3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So they didn't know. They, they, they didn't truly understand God's righteousness. And they didn't submit to God's righteousness, God's blamelessness because of that. And so here's what I know. When I read the Bible sometimes, I read a passage like this, and I just think, okay, how does this really apply to me? Because this is talking about the people of Israel. I'm not a person of Israel. I'm very Gentile. And all these kinds of things. Like, how, how can I relate to this? And I know that God was 
speaking through Paul to us today, even through this text. And so what I know is that, that the way the people of Israel are is the way that we are. A lot of times, the, the way that the people of Israel are is exactly the way you and I act. And so, to, so I'm gonna, we're going to take some time here, and we're going to talk about three ways that we are like the people of Israel, that we, three ways we find from this text. Three ways that we find that Paul is talking about the people of Israel, and I'm going to say how we are like that today. A little bit of a caveat or a disclaimer is as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't always be like the people of Israel, right? Even though we are like the people of Israel sometimes, hopefully the Holy Spirit's doing a work in us where we're not always like the people of Israel because we've been saved by Jesus. All right, so let's get into it. There's three ways we're similar to Israel. Um, The first way is that uh, the people of Israel pursued a righteousness based on their works, right? That's one of the first things he says in uh, 30 and 32, that, that Israel tried to become right before God, tried to become blameless by what they did, right? We do that all the time, right? Most of us, Christian or not, have some kind of moral code that we live by. So a lot of us Christians use the Bible, but a lot of people, no matter who they are, they are, they go, well, here's what I think is wrong. These things are wrong, and these things are not. Like, when I, for whatever reason, when I was in high school, and even college a little bit, stealing minor things, I was like, yeah, that's okay. Who cares? That's not bad. <laughs> All the time, right? And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm stealing something right now. And so, like, <laughs> whatever it is, Right? And so there's all kinds of ways that we have moral, moral codes, and uh, we don't know how we all get them. Sometimes it's from our parents. Sometimes it's because we're comparing ourselves to others and we're seeing how we are, right? And so we have some kind of code where we just say, man, since I do these things, I'm not that bad a person. I'm pretty good with my parents. I'm a pretty good brother or sister. I'm pretty good at school. I try to do my best. I try to be nice. I don't insult people only behind their back. Whatever it is, we try to have our own moral code. And so a lot of us can relate to that. I think sometimes though, even me as a Christian, I go, no, I, I try to follow the Bible, but I don't have a moral code like that where I'm trying to, to, to be good enough for God or be good enough for this world, or whatever it is. But here's, my, here's a little exercise I want to do with you if you're here and you claim to follow Jesus, to prove that you base your life on works too much sometimes. Um, when you sin, when you've messed up, and you know you've sinned and you messed up, think about what you do. What do you do right away? Is it run to Jesus Or is it say sorry to Jesus a bunch of times and then say, man, here's all these things I got to stop doing. Here's all these things, kind of almost like self-punishment. Like, man, I got to make sure I don't do this or that or this and that. And sometimes those things are good because you are pursuing holiness and righteousness. But sometimes unless we do those things and we accomplish those things well, we feel so much guilt before God as Christians. When God wants us to, when we sin, turn to him, run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you right now. I need you right now. I can't do this. I can't be righteous. I need your righteousness. And so when, when we were kids, uh, my dad, he's like really about manners and stuff sometimes. And one of the things he would tell us all the time, we would cough and we wouldn't cover our mouths. 
and he would say, cover your mouth. And then all of us as kids would be like, oh yeah, <laughs> and like fake cough and cover our mouths again to like earn favor with my dad. <laughs> like that hopefully goes, oh, he's doing it. Like he's, he's blameless before me now. But my dad being kind of mean was like, no, you're just fake coughing now. Doesn't count. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. And so my sister Bridget did it all the time. It's hilarious. Uh, and so I think we're just like that. As much as I, I was like that as a kid, I think we, we grow up and we become that with our morality, with God. And we just, we try to be good enough. We try to be righteous. And we try to convince ourselves that the things we do are good enough. And they're, they're just not. Another thing Paul points out about Israel is that they've stumbled over Jesus. That that the, the idea of who Jesus said he was and what he said and what he did, just they, they stumbled over him. They couldn't handle it. They just, they, he didn't fit into their box. They couldn't understand what he was about. And we can clearly see that our culture stumbles over Jesus all the time. I stumble over Jesus sometimes when I'm reading the gospels and I'm like, what, what Jesus said that, what? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, how could he say that? Or I stumble over Jesus every time I try to answer uh, our culture on Jesus's behalf. And I just say, oh, Jesus is not really like that. And sometimes Jesus is like that. And I try to change Jesus into someone that I'm more comfortable with. And you especially see our culture as a whole stumbling over Jesus every Easter, it seems like. Around Easter, I'm just like in the Safeway grocery aisle. And just like so many magazine articles are like the real Jesus a transformer or whatever, like all kinds of crazy stuff about Jesus, the real Jesus, a woman, like what? And like all kinds of stuff Or lately the, the, one of the newer articles I've seen is Jesus had a wife, right? And it's like, okay, whatever, man. And, and you kind of look at the text and you're like, well, that's dumb or whatever. And we stumble over Jesus all the time. And we constantly make Jesus something he's not. And that's, that's something that the, the people of Israel did too. Um, the third way I see Paul talking about Israel is that they wanted to establish their own righteousness. So this is a little bit different than working for your own righteousness, trying, trying to work so hard to earn favor and blamelessness with God. This is establishing your own blamelessness apart from God. Almost saying like, I'm as good as God. And I think we do that too sometimes. Here's how it looks for me. Recently, uh, in my redemption community group, um, this girl, I don't know if she's here, Sarah Lukine, she was telling us about how she was sharing her faith with actually my sister Bridget, just on campus at NEU and kind of just like randomly walking up to people and just like being like, hey, can I have a fry, whatever, and just talking to them. And I used to do a lot of that stuff. So I showed her this like little resource and it was like these cards that I gave her. And I was like, hey, this is like a cool way. It makes it less awkward. And then they just give you your fries or whatever. And, and she was like, oh, this is really cool. And it was like, cool, that's it. And so I'm driving the other day and I'm just like driving along and I'm chilling and my mind is just wandering. And I find it wandering to how I showed Sarah these cards. And I'm like, just feeling good. I'm just like, I am awesome. 
Like, I am so spiritual. Like, and just going for, just like, and then my mind was just wandering, just like puffing myself up, just going like, you are great, Anthony. And what I realized was that's what, I was just trying to, I was being happy that I was establishing my own righteousness. I was seeing this little act that, that I was, that I did, uh, was somehow making me more righteous, I think it's okay to be encouraged by what God's doing in us. It's okay to be encouraged by even the good we do. But I think sometimes that we find our value in how we're establishing our righteousness. And so for me, it looks like that. Every time I do something spiritual like that, I'm like, I'm awesome. Or every time I preach a really good sermon, I'm like, I'm awesome or whatever. And I, it's because there's this inclination in my heart that goes, I need, I want to establish my own righteousness. I want to establish my own righteousness. Other ways this looks for me is like, or just basically anything spiritual is happening, right? Especially on Sundays in the worship service. I honestly try to stand in the back because if I stand in the front, sometimes I'm just like, man, I wonder who's looking at me raise my hands right now. Probably everybody. Uh, <laughs> or whatever. Like, I literally do that. And I want to worship God. I love raising my hands and worshiping God that way. But some, for whatever reason, sometimes when I'm in front of people or there's people around me, I'm just like, I hope they see how awesome I am. Like, and they're probably just like, no, you're weird. You raised both your hands. Like, <laughs> so there's all kinds of ways that we try to establish our righteousness. We are, we are very much like the people of Israel sometimes. And Paul is writing all this in Romans to say, I, to, to, with the hope that Israel is convicted, that Israel would, would somehow read this or somehow hear from the Roman Christians this and be convicted that they were missing the, the point. And I think today we need to read this and, and be convicted that we are missing the point, that we can't work out ourselves. Like we can't work out our righteousness. We can't do any work to make ourselves righteous. We can't uh, establish our own righteousness either. But Paul gives us hope. He doesn't just leave us hanging. He doesn't just drink all the haterade and walk away. He gives us some, some hope here in verse four. So verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay, I like to read verses twice sometimes, so I'm going to do that. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the people of Israel thought that if they followed the law, that would bring them righteousness. And they missed the point. This this verse 4 has many implications for us. But the biggest one is that it's so freeing. The biggest one is that it is so freeing for us to hear, right? That, that we do not have to, after we sin, find 10 different ways to live differently to appease God. That when we sin, we have to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need your righteousness. I need you in my life, rather than trying to do it on our own. That when we are trying to establish our own righteousness, we can be convicted and say, God, I need your righteousness. And so that when we turn and start to do good, that we would do good not so that people would look at our righteousness, but that we would do good so people could see God's righteousness. And so this verse is so freeing because now you do not have to live under the weight of the law. You don't have to live under the weight of rules and regulations or whatever moral code you have in your life. It's very freeing. 
Jesus, when he uh, was on earth uh, doing ministry, he's talking with people and uh, they were bringing up some questions in, in Matthew five seventeen is where you find this. He says, I, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. I've come so that they would be carried out essentially. And so what Jesus is saying there is, Israel, you have a narrow view. You had a narrow view of the law. I gave you this law and I gave you the prophets and they told you things bluntly, but you kept telling yourselves, oh, I've just got to follow this. I just have to do these 10 commandments and God will see me as righteous. I just have to do these things and I will be blameless before God. I'll be blameless on my own. And Jesus said, no, the law was just a shadow of things to come. The law had all these kinds of sacrifices of animals and and things day in, day out, and yearly even, and all kinds of stuff going on to to, uh, forgive them of their sins. And and God, God knew the whole time that was just a shadow of a greater sacrifice that was to come. And so Jesus came to earth and he said, okay, you can't be good enough. Neither can these animals that you're sacrificing. I can be, though. And so God followed out the law perfectly. God lived out the law perfectly. He never sinned. And so then when he died on the cross, he could say, okay, God the Father, you can, you can punish me for the world's sin because I've lived this out perfectly. I can be their mediator. And so Jesus was what the law pointed to all along. Jesus was what the, the Old Testament points to all along, not trying to be good, not trying to do it on your own, but to, to have a yearning for Jesus, to have a conviction of your sin and say, man, I, I need something greater than what I'm doing, which could only be the savior of the universe, which is Jesus. And so he died and he raised three days later and he just says, put your faith in me. He says, stop putting your faith in your own works. Put your faith in me. That's what's going to save you. Look at me and see that I was perfect. Look at me and see that I was, I was the only truly good person. I was the only one that followed the law correctly. Look at me and put your faith in me. And so the, the whole Bible, its climax is Jesus. It hinges on Jesus and his death. He is the climax of the Bible. He is what the law pointed to and Israel missed it. Israel missed it because they said, no, the Bible's about the Ten Commandments. The Bible's about what Moses told us. The Bible's about making sure we do these things. And let's be honest with ourselves, Christianity in America today often turns into that. They go, you go, what's Christianity about? And they go, oh, you got to do all this stuff. You got to make sure you like, don't do this and you don't do this and don't do this. And, and there's some of that there, but really it's pointing us to Jesus. Really, Christianity is us saying, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I need someone that can. And Jesus says, I can. I can save you. I can step in your place. I can give you my righteousness. God can now look at you and see you as righteous. And so we need, all we need is faith in Jesus. Okay, do not confuse yourselves. Do not become like the people of Israel who looked at the Bible and said, man, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. But look to Jesus and see that all you need to be saved is faith in him. And so Paul answers the question, why else has Israel not been saved or why else is 
some of the people in our world not saved? Because they don't have faith in Jesus. And then he answers the question, can the law bring us righteous, righteousness? Can the law make us good? And Paul says, no, only Jesus can. And we need to cling to that. A story uh, that Jesus told one time was he was in the temple or he was telling a parable or whatever, and there's these two men in the temple of God. And one man was a Pharisee, a religious man, and one man was a, like a dirtbag sinner. And they, they approach uh, the altar or whatever, and the righteous man's prayer is, God, thank you that I'm not like him. Thank you that I'm not like this guy, that you've somehow made that possible. And then this guy's prayer was, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what Jesus wants of our hearts. Jesus wants us to see that we need him, that he's done everything we need to be saved. And this is a good message. And that's why we want people to be invited on Easter. Because our culture thinks the message is work hard, work hard, work hard. Right? That's the message of our culture. And then our culture thinks that's the message of Christianity. Don't drink. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. When the, message, when the message of Christianity is, we need Jesus. Jesus is who we need. Jesus is who we are created for. And so as you invite people this week or next week to Easter, think, man, I, who do I want to show what Christianity truly is? That it's not just, hey, join our club where we don't do anything fun. But that it's, man, join a family where you get to experience the God of the universe who is everything that you could need and want and desire. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, you convict us with it. I thank you that we can see where we are like the people of Israel. And God, my hope is that we would all be convicted today that we would see places where we are like the people of Israel. That we would, instead of turn more inward and try to be more righteous on our own, that we would turn to you and say, God, we need you for our salvation. We need you for our righteousness. So God, move in our hearts today to realize that. And God, move in this congregation. Move in us to, to see people in our lives that need to hear the true message of Christianity that it's not by works, but it's by faith and grace that we are saved. God, help us. We need you and we love you. Amen.